You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. From Chicago, this is the Chavrusa. I'm Avram Kivalevich. And I'm Colin Warch. And I should mention that it is from Chicago, but of course, Jersey is also represented here. Uh, Kalman, this is our last episode of the season. Uh, we should, I guess, pat ourselves on the back that we're able to get through uh, these weeks and some months uh, through some very difficult times and uh, rekindle uh, something that was almost 20 years old. And I think the sign that it was a positive thing is not only the modern analytics that we've gotten uh, in terms on your end and my end of people that have been downloading and listening to the shows, but I think the best indicator is the fact that we've received emails and texts and sometimes verbal uh, messages, uh, phone messages about what we've been doing. So I, I can't be any more satisfied than the fact that people are actually listening and care uh, about what we have to say. Um, I, I'm going to be a little bit, uh, maybe more of an adult now and say, it doesn't really make a difference as much to me whether they agree with me <laughs> or with you. Uh, I'm just happy. That's just the difference of whether they want to be right or wrong. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a businessman <laughs> at this point, and although we're not making much money from it, I'm just happy people uh, do care and are listening. Um, and um, I, I think, first of all, uh, we did get uh, from these, I think, 14 episodes, uh, we did get uh, quite a bit of responses, and we're going to read some of them here today. Um I should tell you, though, that there's also been responses because I was able to salvage uh, many of our old programs, and I have uploaded them on our website as well, and not everybody realized how old they were. So I'm not going to count those, the people who thought I was right about Thanksgiving and a bunch of other things way back when. But just in I'm not going to count the ones where they thought you were right either. <laughs> but that's even today that shows you, you know, the truth uh, it doesn't age. If it's true, people will accept it. Uh, but let's talk about the last couple of, uh, we, we've gotten some responses uh, and we're going to read some of them. So uh, I think the way we've agreed to do this is that I'll read uh, the letters that I received and I'm going to have uh, you respond, right? Yes. And uh, you've got some comments and letters from me. All right, my friends. So, here is something, if you remember, uh, I, I forgot which episode it was. I think it might have been Harusa episode 10 or 11. Uh, we talked about altering the dress code, that the dress code is much too strict and prohibitive, and that we thought maybe, at least I was saying, that COVID-19 might make a difference and perhaps people can normalize and go back to a, a much more inclusive way of dressing where we don't have that strict uniform. Here's a letter from a listener who says, I like the conversation on clothing and appearance norms. I think you, that's me, by the way, made effective points on questioning who in the Velt decided on a narrow interpretation of black, white hat, hat, beard, black hat, white dress, white shirt, having a beard as the only acceptable Orthodox dress. This mindset has filtered down even to the Balabatim. 
I think the answer is that most people just want to conform. I personally feel that respectable, ironed, quote-unquote, business casual American dress is fine. But in some minyanim, that places me, chutz l'machana. So he's definitely, uh, our writer is definitely, uh, uh, feels that what I suggested is something that the world probably needs. What's your response, Kalman? Well, I, I, I do want to say, first of all, I mean, I, I do have to agree, everyone has to agree, that the fact that in some places people are making choices to look at people in a negative way, uh, there's no excuse for that. Judging someone by their clothing is uh, really not the way to go about it. However, the question is, judging or not judging whether that's right, in terms of should people conform, should there be a dress code, should there be a, a uniform? So I, I, like, I like that your, um, your friend... And he must I don't know friend. him. I don't know him. He's not my friend, Kalman. Well, if he's agreeing with you, then uh, <laughs> you can agree with me without being friends. I, I, I you but, can. But I do like the fact that he's differentiating between, so to speak, the bentor, the yeshiva guy, and the balabatim, and he's he's saying it's filtered down even to the balabatim. But to respond directly, I, I do think that the, there are too many separate points. Uh, and I thought about this after we had had the discussion. You know, if, if let's say. Um, a, a uh, yeshiva boy walked into the yeshiva one day and he's wearing, uh, not, not, not jeans and a t-shirt, but he's wearing a, uh, um, a blue shirt with white stripes and, uh, and a green suit. Why, why is he dressed differently than everyone else? Why did he, why did he make the choice? He, in there, he didn't go to a store that only had green suits. He had to look for the green suit. So there's something, um, it's a little bit of an of a, of a, um, act of rebellion on his part. And although, halvai, we wish that all the rebellions were to change colors of clothing rather than kids going out into dark places, but in, in the yeshiva environment for sure, it's not so much that you're wearing a green suit, it's more of what part inside of you needs that. Because you needed it in order to um, move away from everyone else. And that's something which touches on a dangerous area, which for some other students can turn into something negative. And again, I'm sticking in the yeshiva world first. I get to Balabatim next. So because of that, I think that there's a certain amount, much like in the Marines, where you have to keep... Um, well, in, in, in any armed forces, you have to keep people wearing a certain uniform and looking in the same way in order to discourage a certain kind of individualism, which can um, lead you or take you away off the path and make you less receptive to the submission required to your teachers. I think that the uniformity creates that standard. And that's my first point. My second point is once you do have the uniform. Once you've um, got, at least in the yeshiva world, I think that at that point, much like fans of a team will wear the team's colors, I think that once you've got your uniform set up, all those who want to associate with the B'nai Torah, with the yeshiva world, are naturally going to dress like them because they want to be associated with that group. And so, again, I'm not saying that anyone who doesn't dress that way is disassociating, and that's wrong to necessarily judge someone based on that. But why aren't you looking to dress? It's not like it's funny clothing. 
it's 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 a white shirt, a black suit, and it's it's something which connects you and associates you and brings you together and might help you channel your thought process in a way that conforms more with connecting to your avodas Hashem. Okay, that's a lot of crock. Um, let, let me let me use your. <laughs> it really is. I'm sorry. Let's talk about your sports bushel, okay? As everybody knows, who knows me well, knows that I am a Green Bay Packer fan, right? I don't know if there's going to be any football at all. There might be never. Anything. I can Maybe. see that. I can see the slice of cheese in your. <laughs> right. So here's the thing: <laughs> the um, there might not be any football, and maybe there shouldn't be any football anymore. Uh, I, I'm willing to walk away, but when I was up okay. until... I know this isn't our topic, but can we change it to throw ball instead of football? <laughs> okay, once again... My, my European can't you get, European, can't you get Manchester... You four times in a game and you call it football. Okay, I'm sorry. Anyway. Manchester, what was it called? What is, what's the team in Manchester that everybody loves? Manchester United? Manchester United? Manchester United, yes. Yeah. Get out your colors. Here, I, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. I don't need to wear the green and gold. I don't need to have a cheese head, but I can mentally understand what it is that makes Aaron Rodgers great. I can understand if it's seen Rodgers and Favre. I can understand if it's seen Rodgers, Favre, and Bart Starr, the three great Green Bay quarter backs. Meaning I don't have to look the part to understand it, to think about it, to be in love with what they did and what they've done. In the same way, you can be part intellectually and strongly about something without necessarily putting on the uniform and the color. Uh, there's no question in my mind, you know, you have uh, people that, that, that have done studies, uh, a friend of mine, Amir Mashiach, who has, uh, who has written beautifully about Roshama Zaman Orabach, uh, Dr. Harel Gordon, who has written, uh, a friend of mine has written about Ramesha Feinstein. They don't look like Ramesha. They don't look like them, but they love them, appreciate them. They know them. Uh, and, and they live steeped in their chuvas and ideas. So you don't need to, in terms of your second point. If, if let, we, let, let, me, let me address your, your sports uh, um, refutation. I, I don't know if everybody understands what I'm saying. What I'm saying well, is... Let me go, when, go ahead. In the case of the sports, when, when, you, when you're going to, to Lambeau uh, Field, when you are going to Soldier Field, and that's the time when you're connecting and everyone, everyone's wearing Bears jerseys. I mean, if you are a, a true fan, in fact, even when you're watching the game at home, it's almost like people feel like they're not properly prepared to watch the game at home if they're not wearing their jersey. So in, in yeshiva, it's, you're all the time. You're always in yeshiva. You're, even when you're not in yeshiva, you're in yeshiva. So I wouldn't compare it to you know guys going uh, walking down the street. Must be he's not a he's not a he's not a 49ers fan because he's not uh, wearing the red. It, it, it's not true. It, it you would look at it for how does he dress at the time that he's associating? How does he watch the game? Okay, so we're talking uh, about going, let's say, to a, a uh, uh, you're saying going to a convention or going to a dinner then, of course, you would want to dress like the team. I, what I am saying is the same way I can be a fan without dressing, we should make people able to be fans of the yeshiva world, connect to the yeshiva world, without demanding that they adopt this type of style and dress. You can, as, 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 our, as our writer says, casual business, we're not talking about in a way that anybody would find objectionable, non sneistic or, or, or grub. 
We're talking about something which just isn't the black-white penguin uniform of the yeshiva world. We need to, uh, to open up the field and let everybody love things for what they really are, for the internal brilliance of what the yeshiva world has to offer in terms of understanding. Not because if you don't dress the part, you are shunned and you can't have any, uh, and you aren't really part of the team. Let's talk about your first thing. Let's talk about your first thing. Your, 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 I think very cruel actual statement about our friend who, who wants to express a little individuality. And like you're, you're the mashkiach, Kalman. Talk to him and saying, you know, look, I understand that you want to be, but is there something wrong with you that you want to be uh, an individual? Why are you going against it? There's something you're putting the onus on a fellow who's living in the in a restrictive bubble who wants to have some aspect of individuality. He he hasn't taken a machine gun to the bubble. He still wants to be part of it. Yeah, he wants to wear the green suit and he wants to wear whatever colored shirt that you talked about. But he wants to be part of this team. Now, why is he doing this? Instead of saying, there's something strange with you. You need to... Uh, attract attention to yourself. You have some sort of need to be discovered. Maybe what he's reacting to is the fact that the restrictiveness of everybody looking exactly the same. If it would be a more wide open environment, I'm not sure he wouldn't need that, that nobody would look at him in, in any other way unless he was coming in and oppressed away. So, okay. That, so I really think, once again, Kalman, you entrenched yourself in, in a system I don't really think you believe in anyway. But, okay. I, I, I know we have to move on because we're running out of time. But yes. um, in terms of uh, this specific question. <laughs> but again, what I'm saying is they have to question what is it about the clothing that's, that's be, that, that you're, you feel the need to individualize in this way. And there are places and, and ways that a person can individualize even within the issue of the world. And I think, as, as I said, it was more common in the past, and we need to go back to it again. So basically, we're back exactly where we were before. Uh, we haven't changed a bit, except I ended up throwing some invective at you. Okay, now it's your turn. What's your letter? Okay, dear rabbis, I appreciated your talk, which discussed the um, relationships that we have with our family members who are um, less religious than we are. And I uh, noticed that there were points made in both directions that really made me think very carefully about how I've lived my life and interacted with the members of my family who are not so religious. I I would like to make an observation And I was wondering what the rabbi's thoughts would be on this observation. I find that when I do make leniencies and concessions for my family that is less religious, I see myself being brought down. I find myself less motivated in my observance if I allow myself to experience something that is less than what I would consider appropriate for me, even if I have good reason or good, quote, unquote, excuses for making these leniencies. And then I find that when I stand up for myself, I am um, stronger in my amuna and in my bitachon, I'm stronger in my observance and in my avodas Hashem. And I would like to um, know whether you rabbis thought that this was atypical and whether this is something that um, I can use as a reason to suggest that maybe for me, um, I should be 
more stringent and not allow these leniencies in order to not fall the way that I fall when these things happen. I appreciate um, your thoughts and I really enjoy these classes. Um, thank you. And they signed underneath. So Rabbi, I'm going to let you uh, go first. All right. Well, although he keeps uh, respectfully referring to us as rabbis, it sounds like, based on my memory of that program, that uh, his problem that he's experiencing is more uh, its typical with the approach that I was arguing for, which is to come up with inventive ways within halacha to allow the non-religious relatives to be satisfied. Uh, I think the case we we're talking about was with the ring, um, the, the ring that needed to be the own, had to be the property of the, of the husband, but this was a ceremonial ring that had to do with the family. And I, we were talking about a double ring ceremony. And I think, uh, Kalman, it was there that you, uh, uh, you jumped on me for, you know, for, for opening up, uh, religion to all these type of, coolers and all these type of uh, adjustments that would just be a slippery slope. I think that's sort of where we were. So it sounds to me like this fellow is more uh, worried about what I was uh, suggesting and saying that in his life, when he's tried to do that, he has found himself slipping. So my heart goes out to uh, this person. He obviously sounds very sincere and uh, no one uh, obviously, halach is a messy thing, and to live halachic life and to live be more of an abrius, it's a very difficult thing to manage. Um, one obviously needs uh, Kalman Warch and Avram Kivalevich aren't going to be your rabbis for every particular situation. Uh, we want to inspire people to get rabbis and to get people involved in their lives. However, I will tell you that there are chuvas uh, that I found very interesting a tshuva from Rav Sternbach, and a tshuva from Zol Gesundsein, and from Eliashev Zetzal. They both have to do with uh, people who are who are becoming religious. Uh, Rav Sternbach's tshuva is about uh, a fellow who is was who is from now, he's about tshuva, but his wife is not yet from. And the question was, she um, promised him that she would keep uh, certain halachas, in terms of kashras, in terms of nida. And the question was, the husband believes the wife, and the shaila is whether or not uh, we can trust her and whether they should stay married, etc. And Rav Sternbach uh, has a very measured, nuanced tshuva, and he talks about the fact that because this person is a baal and is not yet necessarily 100% firm in what they believe in, he was worried about the wife's influence considering that the wife was not uh, yet Shemitah or Mitzvah, although she said she was going to do whatever he wanted. Rabbi Yoshev has a, a question about uh, Malchuva, who um, has a question of taking a haircut during the three weeks. He had a mohawk, and the question was, should he get a haircut during the three weeks in order to look like a ben or not? And Rabbi Yoshev um, was... <laughs> a little contradicting yourself here. What's wrong with the Mohawks if they want to be individualized? <laughs> but he wants to be part of the unfortunate yeshiva world that, that he has, okay. to rest, has to look good. Um, and and, and Rav Yoshev was worried. Don't, about don't Packer fans have Mohawks? 
<laughs> yeah, 49er. I'm sure everybody has, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody has uh, all different types of hairstyles in the, in the sports world. Uh, the uh, Well, that's the, how you hold the cheese up is with the, it goes on the most. Velcro, Velcro helps as well. But anyway, here's the thing. Um, the the Rebel Yoshev says, you know what? On one hand, I want him to become part of the yeshiva world. He wants to become a Balchuva. The other hand, I'm not sure. Who says? Who says he's actually firm in where he is? So both Rebel Yoshev, both are Sternbach know there's a difference between what you would tell a Balchuva or someone, or to someone who is already a firm keeper of Teir Mitzvahs, but in terms of Eva, in terms of Shalom Bayis, in terms of Shalom HaMishpocha, has relatives that are not that way. I don't know who this person is who wrote to you. I'm not asking for his information. But what I would say is, is that like Rav Sternbach and Rav Yoshev says, when someone is just beginning and starting, the chances of falling back are stronger. And we do have to worry more. And sometimes even doing something as firm as Rav, uh, as Rav Sturmach was saying, which was even advising against staying together as husband and wife, if necessary. Because you're right, when you do make concessions and you yourself were part of that world until very recently, you will find yourself getting dragged back in. I think if you are uh, very happy and you've been years, you're from, from birth, and, and, and you're very firm and strong in where you're at, I think that you are able to be the beacon. You're able to be the light. You're able to know with Dastaira and with Rabbanim how to make those concessions in a way that only makes a greater Kiddush Hashem. So I don't know. you. That's what I would respond. Uh, obviously, every situation is different. I think a person who feels that he's like a Balchuv in the sense, I feel my, my religiosity is being threatened. Obviously, what, what I was saying wouldn't apply in that case you would have to use the Rav Sternbach uh, approach. Okay. Um, Excellent. I, uh, I, I, I have to commend you on, the, on that uh, fair concession that you've made. I, 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 do, I do agree with you that, um, you know, obviously, um, and even though we had the discussion, we were speaking in general terms, and I think it's very important for the listeners to know that Yiddishkeit doesn't work with just one set of rigid rules that everyone needs to follow. And I mean that in every area, except for clothing. Um, uh, <laughs> Says the guy, who's wearing a tie? If we would, who's wearing a tie for this? You're wearing a jacket, I guess, but I'm wearing a tie, but go ahead. All right, between the two of us, we're, 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 we can be... <laughs> we can be uh, more- I, I do think that that's what happens sometimes. It's very dangerous in, uh, when, when people start getting so stuck in these boxes that you know, the rules are the rules that they don't allow for the humanity to express itself within, within Yiddishkeit. I'm recognizing that individual circumstances require individual perspectives and unique approaches is... As uh, I mean, you're you're the expert on the subject of of responsa and shalos tshuvas, but that's really what all the shalos tshuvas are about. Is yeah, we know what the halacha is in the basic standard case, but here's this situation that has these thirty different variables and details, and where does it fit? How did that's what all responsa is. Because right. no one's asking the basic question. They're asking, what about this crazy situation? Well, when would this crazy situation ever happen? Well, 95% of all responsa 
um, svarim that have been written are actual cases, besides a few rabbis who uh, who um, made made stories up. But uh, in most cases, these are actual events because um, life is stranger than fiction, and the, the Torah has a way to allow itself to consider other people. All right, uh, Rabbi, why don't you read your... Okay, so here's my second question, and then we're going to end with your question back to me. But here's the question from uh, another, actually, uh, another response. And this has to do with what, it's really a good segue from your last uh, responder. The discussion on non-religious relatives was also interesting. Okay, happy. As a side issue, you mentioned that you went to Skokie Yeshiva. I didn't go to Skokie Yeshiva. I actually taught in Skokie Yeshiva, but I had to show up in the building every day, and it was definitely part of what's known as Skokie Yeshiva. In the future, I'd like to hear your perspective around the Psak regarding traditional shuls without mechitzas, and whether that decision led to further observance down the line, or just a slide to conservative reform. Even in my own family, I'm a Supic, whether certain accommodations we made really had a positive difference. In some ways, yes, others not. So I'm going to read to you uh, what my response... Well, can, can, I, can I ask you just first, for the sake of the listeners, um, I think most people who are from the Midwest area might be familiar with uh, some of the history. If you could, I know we're, we don't have much time, but if you could give us a quick summary, um, you know, as the uh, world-renowned historian of the... Uh, of, of some of this? So, Kama, let me read to you uh, what I responded in writing to this person. I might as well. Uh, that would be an interesting thing to talk about. Uh, I was a, a Jewish studies teacher, uh, a Rebbe Kolo person professor at Skokie, and I was aware, of course, of the traditional shuls that cropped up. It's hard to condemn them unilaterally from the vantage point of our era or even in the 1980s when I arrived in Chicago, as the landscape had shifted so greatly in the three decades since those sort of shoals cropped up. I'm now going to tell you what that means. Uh, The traditional shoals did start uh, sometime in the 50s uh, as a way to fight, in their mind, what was these beautiful temples that were being built uh, by conservative and reform shuls, there was groups that wanted to have Orthodox rabbis, but they just could not convince their wives and their communities that they wanted to still have the old-fashioned, what was considered the proper halachic shul of the Mechitza. So the rabbis in Skokie, I'm not sure who gave them the thumbs up to do this, but they said, at least this way we'll be able to be there of Technically, uh, we're going to follow the halacha. We're going to daven from uh, the proper siddur. And what many of the shuls did was have a mixed minion where they did try to have men and women sitting in separate spots in the shul, although there was no wall between them. They were in the main sanctuary. There wasn't the women upstairs in the balcony. And they, most of those shuls, those traditional shuls in Chicago, had a second minion uh, that was called the Mechitza minion that was for those members who found it too difficult to daven. The rabbi would usually be the, uh, the, the captain of both minyanim. He would spend some time with the minion that was without a Mechitza and sometimes the minion with a Mechitza 
the minion without a mechitza in many cases, in fact, in most cases, also had a microphone. The one that didn't have a mechitza did not. Did have a mechitza, did not. Um, so that's what these shuls were. Many of them are still, the buildings are still there. Some of them have turned into complete conservative shuls, and some of them have actually uh, changed and become orthodox. Uh, data probably exists that can determine what were the eventualities that took over those congregations. I think a good study could be made whether this was giving in or not. Um, you need to realize the Satmarov stance of no compromise was the maverick opinion in the 1950s. In fact, even Rav Salvechik, who was not in Chicago, had instructions uh, for his musmochim that they could accept posts in shoals without a mechitza, and they were given a one to three year time limit to change them. Um, there is a book called The Sanctity of the Synagogue. It's very easily available online uh, by Baruch Litvin, uh, which really deals with the issue of, of, of shoals without a mechitza and uh, what was really happening there. So that, I think, that's my response. I don't really have much to add to that. Um, uh, what were you interested in, Kalman, more than that, if anything? Well, no, I, I think, I, I just want to point out that, that it, it's a wonderful observation of the classic question of whether a concession, what we would call um, a, a leniency in halacha akula, whether it becomes a yurida shilitzarech aliyah or yurida shilitzarech yurida, meaning sometimes when you make a concession, you know, um, you, you're, you're really doing it in a way where you're trying to get through the door. And the goal, the big picture, is to try to elevate and bring people back up afterwards. And we see so often that that works. And yet, on the other hand, we see so often that it backfires. I think this is very much related to our question. I would say it very closely resembles the question of inviting people to your home for a shower. Abbas meal if they're going to drive, where the, the opinions and positions that they say that that's allowed is because, you know, yes, they'll break Shabbos now, but the whole point is to teach them about Shabbos. And how often do we see the success of that, that within a number of months, the people are now doing the walk or they're, uh, and so you have that success. So I do think that this is a very good example of a sort of big picture question that reflects the small picture or the individual question for each person. So my feeling, although I can't back it up with data, but my guts tell me that I'm right, is that inviting people to the house, probably in most cases, despite the fact that they drove, probably there was probably greater success stories there when other than when you institutionalize these type of compromises like like they did in these shuls. I know yeah, that... I, I do recognize there is a difference between individuals and then somehow where where you, um, once you allow everyone to drive, even if you close the parking lot, yeah, right, it's very different than having people uh, drive to a place where you're going to promote the observance of Shabbos rather than having them drive to a place where they feel like this is the new version of Shabbos. Yeah, yeah, like I said to the, the person, it, it's so hard for us to judge what Rosaldechik meant, what everybody was, the, the sense of siege that the 1950s brought upon orthodoxy. Um, remember the vibrancy of conservative Judaism at the time, uh, the push uh, in, in terms of Christianizing so many aspects uh, of the service. It's very hard. I think today we can make a stand a lot stronger 
than in those days. Um, okay, Kalman, let's finish up with your last uh, uh, bombshell uh, in terms of a letter or response to something we have said. Okay, dear rabbis, um, regarding the Chavrusa show, which is referring specifically to the uh, to the show where we discussed um, uh, Jewish people's uh, positions in politics, he says, I think that Yosef and his approach towards Egypt is a good example of how a Jew can get himself involved in politics and promote a positive influence, which would only lead to benefits for the Jewish people. But I think a more important point is that if we take a look at the people who are already there who are Jewish, such as Adam Schiff, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Chuck Schumer, Nadler, and we see examples of people who are Jewish and uh, they may be bringing about negative effects. I uh, changed one of those words. For that matter, Alan Greenspan, Ben Bernanke, and Janet Yellen, and Fisher, who was the vice chair, should never have been federal chairman because of the association with Jewish bankers. The discussion comes down to how loud can the court Jew be in America. And since the secular Jews don't care and are in some cases anti-Israel, what do from Jews need to do to protect both ourselves and the Jewish people as a whole? Let us not forget the effects that Rahm Emanuel had on our perspective on Jews in politics, as well as Jan Schakowsky. And I mean those as negative examples of secular Jews in politics. And what we need is for God-fearing from Jews to step up since secular Jews don't think about what is good for the Jewish people as a whole, and may at times advocate policies harming either Jews in America or abroad, and are seen as representing the Jewish people, then all of Rabbi Kivilevitz's arguments are negated. These are his words. From Jews need to be involved to counter them, as well as make the Kiddush Hashem, and the person signed themselves, not in my name. Not in my name? <laughs> not in my name. We, basically, you're right. All these people who are saying, you know, not in my name. And here we have all these Jews who are representing Jews. And they're doing so in the negative. So maybe in theory, if we could take all Jews out, and I think it's a fair point, but you've got all these Jews who are already in there. And I think you, the, the, the uh, number of examples is really a powerful one. Um, just, just the list of all, you know, all the, the, um, the chairmen of the Federal Reserve being um, people who are easily associated with Jewish bankers, let's get some positive, let's get some from um, Kiddush Hashem kind of people in there. Rabbi, what is uh, your thought? Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy that that this was a topic that the person took to so strongly. Uh, I think that it's uh, it's always good when you can stir the pot up and get people uh, excited enough to write a well-articulated uh, letter, and, and I appreciate it. However, just like you, <laughs> you have good Talmudim, right? Bringing Raya's from uh, from uh, from Gavi uh, Pasisa, bringing Raya's from um, uh, what was it again? Review to Ben Araskiboli, right? Was it the uh, 
uh, that was then, yeah. I mean, this 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 listener right, right. Um, brought the example of Yosef. Right, so from Yosef. I'm saying everybody everybody is a darshan, right? Everybody feels, yeah, I can bring a raya from some historical figure and therefore relate it to today. We're talking here about the Yad of Ashkocha Pratis that was so incredible and so amazing that Yosef was where he was supposed to be. Is Yosef a dogma to therefore there, we got to be more, there's got to be more Yosefs in the world. There's got to be more people just like them, people who, who didn't even in their brother's eyes appear to be a Jew at all, but then we're the most practicing, biggest tzaddikim in the world. Yeah. And then again, Yosef is Bechlal, so, so off of the, off of the, the grid. This was the Yad Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We can't use Yosef as a dogma. We definitely get, no, I, don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. You know, we're supposed to use the Torah. Sefer Bereshis is our Derech Eretz Kadmala Torah. We're supposed to emulate the uh, the ways of our forefathers. I don't think that's fair to say that in this particular example, the, the, this is beyond us. But, I but I'd like for you to respond. Okay, to really so that's what I'm saying. I, I don't think I need to respond to Yosef at all. The, the idea is we know that was the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu was going to bring the Jews down to Mitzrayim, Barzel. however it was supposed to happen, it came through to Yosef. All those things were the secrets of the Eitzah Muka from Hevroin. And, and you can't bring a Raya Bachlau that this is therefore the way we should, we should put more Yosefs there. Okay? Um, now, in terms of what our listener is saying about all the Jews that are not religious, that are not only not religious, but are also arguing for things that are anti-Torah and and anti-Jewish values and that we need to put from people in there. I don't know why. Look, we're not going to change them. We're not going to change Chuck. We're not going to get Chuck Schumer out unless he gets voted out. Adam Schiff or anybody else. I'm not sure what their what their voting record is. It's so terrible, but let's assume that it is. What we need to find is people who represent our way of looking at things, but it doesn't have to be us in the fray, as I said before. Yeah, and you're not addressing his point, though, because you're, you're giving you what was your solution in, in, the, in that actual um, um, episode where you suggest that we should get up people. But what he's, he's, his point is that we already have Jews in there who are creating this negative... We so what, look, either they'll be voted in, they'll be voted out. Whether we should join them and to be, oh, here, we're going to be the better Jew that's going to... That's right, that's right. We should be, we should show them what religious Jews are really about and you know our no one thinks that they're religious no one believes that any of these but Jews they represent are... Jews if we would have people who represent Jews better then people would change their mind about for Pat Buchanan and David Duke they represent Jews for the rest of the world they just happen to be yeah okay part of them might say they're secular Jews but I don't think any of them really uh, people whose, whose connection to Judaism is so tenuous, other than the fact that their last name sounds Jewish, I don't think means... Alan Greenspan, oh, Okay, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. There he has a point. We're talking about the people who were involved in the Fed, people involved in the money, people involved, that really ties in to many of the Jewish uh, the Jewish tropes and Jewish prejudices. And, and again, I think he probably would agree with me he says Kivalevich's points are all refuted. He would agree with me that if Greenspan or any of these from Jews were were were, were asked, look, I, I don't want to be, I, I don't mind working for the Fed, but I don't want to be the ultimate person 
to speak for the Fed. And I think he would agree with me. So, all right. Anyway, look, we did a double session uh, today. Uh, so, again, I, do you, you hear having Janet and, and Alan and all those people there in the Fed, I agree. It, it, it looks bad that here, here are the Jews that have their finger on the, the button about how money uh, is circulated in America, what the interest rates are, these Jews. It's very bad for us to be in that position. I agree. And he actually uh, would be on my side as far as that goes, well, right? I think what he wants is let's, let's show some from religious Jews and let people look at them as, as the examples. Let's get some counters to those people. And they're going to make, and what decisions are they going to make when they become Fed chairs? They're going to make probably, you think they're going to be Fed chairs. They could just be a senators. But even once you've got someone who properly represents the Jew, who people look at as that's the from religious Jew, and those other people are just happen to be Jewish, it changes or it might have a positive effect on how the world views um, Jews in general. And again, I, I, know, I know we're out of time, but I just. Okay. I think the most important thing that these letters show, regardless of whether they agree with you or with me, is that all of these um, issues are subjects that people need to think about, people need to get excited over consideration, and people do need to learn to be able to look at things from different perspectives. I think all of us can agree on that. Yes, and that's sort of what the whole Chavrusha show was about. I did get one response, uh, I didn't show it to you, from a big Talmud Chochem, who said, can't you guys ever agree about anything? I sent him because I send them the links about verses. And of course, Kalman, um, that is Rav Chodesh when there is disagreement and you are able to uh, explain right. your explain Neither your of us needs the Tanya the Messiah. That's right. And that's why. So that's it for this season. We'll be back, I believe, hopefully uh, in the next month or so, maybe, in, uh, as Yom Naroyim approach. I think we'll have season four. We should all have, should be well and uh, enjoy uh, the rest of your couple of weeks. Remember, we're, we're still going to be here responding for you and hopefully we'll be back in a month with some fresh ideas and some new energy. So, my Chavrusa, Rabbi Kalman Warch. And my esteemed Chavrusa, Rabbi Avram Kivilevitz. Take care, my friends. We'll see you later. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.